Hello, hello, and welcome to episode six of the Beehive Jive. Uh, this is a beekeeping podcast hosted by two friends, Tracy and Paul, based in South London, where we talk about our bees and our little adventures juggling them. So in this episode, we're going to talk about what's happening in our apiary, mm-hmm. uh, mite bombs. I keep thinking of Tom Jones put in, in the, the bath. It's a tight Tom... It's a Tom Jones song, is it? <laughs> I can't, whenever I say it, I can't go to Tom Jones, I'm going to put Tom Jones You're going to have to. You are going to have to write the lyrics for that and sing it on the next podcast, because that is a great idea. So this is the last episode of this podcast. Um, and sorry. And, <laughs> and then we're going to talk about our adventures in uh, Queen Rearing. So, uh, Tracy, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. And, uh, yeah, my bees are doing well. It's coming together. I think... After spring and after you do all the splits with Swarm, you kind of go through that time where it all feels like a bit of a messy jigsaw and you're not sure where the pieces are going to fit and how it's all going to come together in time for the flow. Um, And it has come together. So I have um, just one weaker colony, which I'm going to unite to make a mega colony with some of my others. Um, I had some spring honey this year, which was good. I'm just really happy with it because already I'm ahead on what I wanted to achieve. And it was, it was horse chestnut honey, which I've never had before. And it was absolutely amazing. It was just a beautiful honey. Yeah. You got lots of chestnut trees. Yeah. Yeah. On, on the edge of the field where I am. Um, So they're good. They're, they're, they're doing well. And the new Queens are settling down. Um, and the weather today and over the past week is really looking up, a lot warmer, sunny, a bit windy. Oh, actually, no, last week was rubbish, wasn't it? We had October weather with some kind of hurricane moving across the UK. It wasn't a hurricane. It wasn't a hurricane. That's, that's massive Australian it was just exaggeration. Bit, it was just a bit windy. <laughs> it, was, it was a storm. It was a storm. Thunderstorms, yeah. No, it was a storm. It was a proper low pressure from the Atlantic. Anyway, we won't debate about You're that. You're such a weather nerd. I, I'm, well, you have to be addicted to the weather when you live in this country because it's so unpredictable. Um, but yeah, so the main flow is about to start and I'm really excited and I've got the supers on. <laughs> I'm really excited about the flow because my bees are doing well, got my supers on. And as I was saying to you before we started, the solar wax extractor is just powering through all my old comb at the moment does one frame a day doesn't it it's amazing when it just goes to show what the sun actually does for solar devices (laughs) (laughs) um so i i feel like i'm getting ahead on my wax that i'm going to trade next year for my foundation okay i did that last year and it was fantastic i basically got all my foundation for free 100 pounds worth of foundation but i didn't do it this year because i didn't get organized for various reasons yeah, I've never done the wax exchange. It's not, it's not, it's not uh, hard, is it? You just no. rock it up. It doesn't even have to be that clean, does it? It just needs to be melted into some sort of block. You have to melt it in the extractor and then, um, oh, sorry, and then melt it in, in water. Yeah, just clean yeah, it. To purify it a bit further. So you, have, you've, you've got a lot of bees at the moment, though. So have you, have you now officially run out of beekeeping equipment? Yeah, and actually I was going to ask you, do you want to borrow Later, my, my stash? If you've of, got any more, I haven't seen them at the end going. of the garden. Oh, frames! Yeah, I've got loads of frames. Or foundation. Yeah, I've, got loads, I've got loads of that as well. I have run out of equipment, um, but although I do have some spare polyhives, but I'm kind of at a turning point with using the polyhives. I don't. I, I love polynukes, but polyhives don't work so well 
for me. I just don't like them as much as I do wooden hives. I mean, they work brilliantly. They work fine, but wooden hives for me are a much more, I don't know, I just enjoy using them more than I do poly right. hives, you which get all, a bit sticky. You poly at one point. I did go, well, yeah, I, I bought... Yeah, I bought a supply of polyhives. You bought some polyhives. <laughs> I only bought five. Yeah, so, but you know, it's good to have them. They do well, well in all my comb stacked up in them, so they're That's what you use them for. Yeah, they do well in polyhives. I don't know. I, I find they come out of. I don't use them, but everyone I know. I mean, you used to say they come out of spring really well in in poly. Yeah, polyhives. Yeah, I mean, and that is interesting because I think they. I mean, this is I, this is just my opinion. It's not scientific at all, but I, I think they probably do overwinter slightly better in a polyhive. Um, but I don't enjoy beekeeping with them in the summer when things are hot and sticky. I just find that, I don't know, everything seems to stick to the inside walls of them and they're really hard to clean. Yeah. So the wooden ones are just smoother and... You know, with a polyhive, if you've got a if you've got a really sticky hive and they propolized, you know, frames or queen excluders or even supers, you know, you you can damage the hive quite easily. Yeah. Whereas with the wooden really one, you have to dig it in. You flame it and it varnishes it. Yeah, rub all the propolis and wax in. It looks lovely. My my wooden hives are actually looking better every year on especially on the inside well, because they them keep now. them clean and yeah, and on the outside I paint them. They do look. <laughs> They look better under the yeah because of the paint. But now your apiary is all purple. Hmm. Is it purple? It is purple. Looks lovely. It's on, it's it does on, look lovely. It's on that Instagram. So yeah, I have I have painted all my hives purple now. I sometimes worry about um, drifting. Um, well, I, I'm worried about bees. Uh, about their orientation because the hives look so similar now. Well, they look identical. Uh, so what I'm doing at the moment is I have completely let all of the the plants um, in my apiary grow right up. Thistles, the works. Because some I know I know some people know they put shapes on the front yeah. of the. You could do that. Yeah, I think that's a bit daggy. No, I know. I know it's not daggy. It's not daggy I don't know at what all. that is. What's daggy? It's an Australian term. Is it? For? Not very nice. Daggy. It's an Australian. Daggy's an Australian term for no, daggy. Uh, do you know, we, I, I don't mean that it's at the all. the language of Shakespeare. What have you done to it? It's <laughs> it's the language of something else. Um, <laughs> daggy just means not very nice. Yeah, it just means a bit kind of. Scummy. Grubby. I can't think of the. I can't think of what. I'm gonna have to Google it. We would say, anyway. I mean, all I, all I'm saying about the symbols is, I know that a lot of people use symbols like you know card suites or yeah or whatever, but that's not going to look good on my purple hives. No, they do look good, and they do look good. So what I've done at the moment is um, tried to give every hive some kind of marker. Diff through foliage, so, you know, letting the wild plants. It's incredible what grows. I used to stream all of that, and, you know, you've got nettles, you've got thistles, you've got amazing other big plants that I don't know what they are and poppies and, and everything. So have all your hives now got a little front garden? They have each got a, <laughs> they've each got a front garden, but I, I am going to put symbols on some of them, um, and what I'm probably going to do is put the logo 
of the oh, company where I work, they've made a stencil for me have they? to spray paint. Yeah. So they've got their logo and they've also created this little B, which is really cute. So one's square and one's round and I'll put it on alternate hives or something like that because my hives are arranged in pairs. So that would be the only, that would be my only concern about having my apiary look like it does. But I'm really happy with how it, it looks this year. I just wish I had more space because after the queen rearing we've been doing, I seem to have gone from kind of five hives to about 20 overnight. Um, <laughs> obviously not all of those are, are, are new queens, but yeah, there's been a lot of increase this year. No, that's good. Yeah. What about you? So mine are doing all right. I, um, I think you came up last weekend, didn't you? Had a look at them. So there's, I've got one queen that's always been weak and I'm too much of a wimp to cull it. Um. Do you want me to do it? <laughs> Could bring you round. Yeah. So um, I'm going to do another round of queen, queen rearing and I'm going to replace her at some point. Although she's a weird queen because she lays and then she'll stop laying for two weeks and then she'll lay a bit more and, and like she has a rest. It's almost like she gets a bit worn out. That was weird, actually, when you mentioned that last night. That's that's not right. I know it's not, but she. Um, but I don't supersede her. I it's, wonder what's going on. It's weird. It's weird. I don't know. I don't know. I wish they, they take a break. You know, if it's, it gets really cold or no, she just something. stops. Like you'll you'll pick it up and it'd be full of eggs. You think, oh right, okay, she's picked up, uh, and then then all the eggs disappear. And you think, oh, the queen's the queen can't go because she's quit clipped. Maybe she's lazy. She's lazy. So got her the the swarm that moved into my nuke that I threw on the floor. I still can't believe it. The swarm just moved into a oh, random can nuke. I, you jammy so and so. That's going gangbusters. That's going yeah. really well. That's really strong. Oh yeah, I saw that. I that's going to be one of your strongest colonies. She's, definitely. She's amazing. And I got one 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 of the one of them's raising a new queen. Um, which I'll find. I'll check to, tomorrow. Uh, not tomorrow. To I'll check at the weekend um, to see how she's doing. But other than that, they're doing okay. Uh, there's one there that I'm, that was the grumpy, grumpy queen. She's lovely now. Mm. They get impatient. That one. So it's on double brood. So when you inspect the, the top box, they're lovely and calm. You don't need any smoke. Mm -hmm. They're really relaxed because you were there, weren't you? Like, and yeah. these. What are you talking about? They're not grumpy. They're really well behaved. Just like, hang on. <laughs> get to the bottom box about a third of the way through and suddenly they just get fed up and then they get a bit grumpy yeah but they've stopped following so I, I, I don't know why they started following and stopped following so actually I'm doing okay at the moment I just I just want to do another round of queen rearing and get some mm. queens ready for okay, I want to overwinter them mm. so so far and the weather's gone great see the thing is their temperament varies so widely and especially at this point in, with the flow about to start, flow starting actually, I found mine are much less, I've got a couple of colonies which are, yeah, I'd like to requeen them um, for temperament issues. Um, but they're much, much calmer because they, I guess they're just focused on Something to honey. Do, they? Yeah. yeah. So that's probably why she's, that's probably why they've improved overnight. It's because they yeah. They've well, got go, a purpose, a focus now. I'm going to put some more supers on them uh, at mm. the weekend. Mm. And I'm going to do a bit more grafting. So that should be good. I'm looking forward to that. So, so far, relatively drama-free season. 
Um, it's the end of June. It's still drama, drama free. I'll, I'll, I'll start to relax. I'll just enjoy July and August. So that's our that's our Aprils. Uh, I think you get to the point now. You've got more bees, and you know what to do with, don't you? Yeah, I've got. I mean, I I want more bees. I want more. <laughs> um, but the issue is space. I don't have space in that apiary for any more. I need to get another apiary. Apiary. We've been talking about it. Um, maybe we should get a joint apiary. Yeah. Where we can do some queen rearing and we'll go and uh, we're going to go and uh, hassle some farmers. Yeah. Go and, and knock on some doors and give people some honey and um, see what happens. So I mean, I'm really. I had to do. I had to do a lot of splits and the new queens have mated and are storming ahead and when I split them into nukes and I use nukes with 14 by 12 frames and then I've put extensions on those nukes with 14 by 12 frames and so there's, you know, kind of eight frames of brood in there. Um, I mean, so now I've effectively, I mean, the, the I have to say the queens I've got are prolific. They really are. Yeah, you're strong. Very, very and productive. So, you know, the splits I did when they were swarming – I've I've have now doubled, you know, my my stocks from that. So I've got some really good strong hives. I'm I'm really hoping for good weather throughout the flow because I'd really like to break my <laughs> my best ever total um production total for honey. So it would be really nice to do that. And like I said I've got the head start with the spring honey. So yeah. But you're going to put nukes on your uh, supers on your nukes. <laughs> which I think is amazing. You know, I feel, I just feel so foolish about saying that because when I first found out that you could get supers for poly, you know, for the polynukes, I just thought, well, what the, what the hell is that oh, about? That How ridiculous. Insane. Put them in a hive, you know, give them some dignity. Um, and as it turns out, because the queen rearing has slightly transformed the way I view my bees um, and and kind of encouraged me to see them as resources as well as, you know, honey producers. Um, I've got those two nukes which were used for the queen rearing um, for bees and I've subsequently been using them as kind of little factories to to draw comb or for frames of brood for, you know, colonies that need a boost. So I keep taking, you know, bits and pieces from them, resources from them, and they keep replenishing it. But at the same time, they're also making honey. So I'm thinking <laughs> if I give them, I, I, I want to keep them as nukes. I don't want to keep them as full hives because, like I said, they're they're like a shopping basket for me. That would be a six-frame super, wouldn't it? So you put that. Yeah. That's a, that's a super of honey. If you... So I went in there yesterday and they've, they've drawn. I gave them um, four frames with foundation last week. They've drawn all of them and they filled two of them with honey. So I've got two 14 by 12 frames full of honey, pristine, beautiful wax, absolutely gorgeous. But I I can't do anything with that. I don't think my extractor, I don't think the extractor will take 14 by 12 frames. Or maybe it does because it's quite a big extractor and it's got those grill things. I need to look at that. And I know I'm, I can hear the way I'm talking and it sounds as though I just – 
am only interested in exploiting my bees for honey. Um, obviously, they they should have some frames of honey for themselves for overwintering or whatever. So I'm not aiming to strip every bit of honey out of every colony, but I just figure they are quite prolific. And if they're going to make – if I can get, you know, some supers, a couple of supers yeah, of each not? of those, why not? Well, they are – I mean, that queen eight, you call it, that's a very, very strong line. mm it's slightly miserable, but it's really strong queens come out of that line. Yeah, I mean they are amazing. When you when you lift out frame after frame, fourteen by twelve, laid top to bottom, corner to corner, it and you know I you compare that with your other colonies, and they are strong colonies, but not all of them lay edge to edge, and you know it's just it's a beautiful laying pattern, and her two daughters, for want of a better word, also lay like that. So whatever I stumbled upon then, because it's certainly not <laughs> by design that I managed to make that happen because I haven't bred them in any way. I've selected them, but not bred them. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really, I'm really happy with her. So, um, so I, yeah, so I am going to, I may get some I want you to put on my now because I want to see what happens. <laughs> just feels I just so, want to see what happens. I don't know. It just feels so weird. Do we? It feels funny. It feels funny. You've got to play with your bees, haven't you? What's the point of having them if you don't play with so. them? I love them. Oh, yeah, I know you do. Um, okay, so should we talk about uh, mite bombs? I still can't get Tom Jones out of my head when I think of that. I know. See, um, Don't make me sing it. No, I wouldn't do that to the audience. If you keep saying <laughs> 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 that's that's a good point actually let's talk about mite bombs this was a new concept to me i hadn't heard of it well i found it on uh, in december issue of bee culture which you can read online if, if you, you read so much stuff you really do i like reading it's good. um there was an article by a, a lady called tony burnham who she was saying that she had a, a hive on a roof in washington and it it died and and she's putting the death of the hive down to this concept of a mite bomb or a varroa bomb. So I was reading the article, and the, the, essentially the thesis is is that if a hive dies because of a high mite load, um, those be those mites transfer to other hives, who are then overwhelmed by this mite load. So I, I thought it was a really interesting topic. So I, I kind of went on the internet and I'd look at it and looked at a couple of forums and Facebook posts, and then I realised it's a massively contentious topic. Really not a very pleasant debate at all, right? I can imagine. Um, so there's a post on our website about this, about the science of the mite bomb. So I, I kind of avoiding the whole treat or don't treat, I think we'll probably talk about it later, but I was really interested in, well, because the the debate kind of is, it happens. No, mm. it doesn't. That's the argument. It doesn't happen. It's a myth. So I thought, well, does it happen, mm. right? Is, is there any science to prove that the varroa do this? Now, bear in mind, there are parasites. Uh, there are, uh, and yeah, the parasite's job is to exploit a host. And then when it's exploited that host, move to another one. Mm. So parasites, um, I know there's this theory that parasites don't kill their hosts, that's not quite true. Their job is to, if they're going to kill it or weaken it, 
not to kill it too quickly so they can't reproduce. Mm-hmm. And also, if 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 Varroa weren't able to travel between hives, you wouldn't have Varroa. So he wouldn't exist. Yeah. So I was kind of looking well, at that. Yeah. I, yeah. So I, I was looking at the science of it, and, it, and, it's, and I find Varroa... Um, I, varroa control I don't really talk about a lot, but I, I find how Varroa act as an animal quite quite interesting. So, so I kind of looked at the, the Varroa, and, and the question was, how do they how do they choose what bees they move move around on? So in the hive, how does a varroa pick what type of bee to go on a nurse or a forager? And and all insects have got a, a coating of hydrocarbons on their exoskeleton, and it's there to stop them drying out. So in social insects, so in ants, for example, ants can tell if you're a nest mate based on this chemical signature. In bees, that chemical signature changes depending on what job you do. So if you're a nurse bee, you have a different hydrocarbon signature, basically have a different scent, than if you're a a forager. So what what is known is that mites will overwhelmingly prefer to take, to hop on a nurse bee, because obviously a nurse bee is going to take them to another cell. Yeah. Jump directly to where they yeah. want to go. So, so you know that you know that the mites in a, in a strong colony where where the bees are tolerating the mites, um, they're kind of self contained in that colony because there's no need for the mites to actually leave. That's dangerous. It's not particularly worthwhile doing it. So there's no no need for them to leave. So as long as that that colony is tolerating the mites, they they will just stay there, multiplying. But, but what happens is as the mite load increases and then the if the the colony starts to weaken and it starts to break down, what happens is, is that the bees change roles. They start working lots of different roles because there's not enough resources within the hive to do all the roles. And at that point, that hydrocarbon signature starts to get muddled with everybody, everybody else's. So it becomes more difficult for the mites to determine what's a nurse was a forager so now they start to select leb so they'll start to select foragers and nurses and now they're leaving the hive now they're actually just because of the mechanic of the hive breaking down now those mites are starting to leave but even in that so what they're leaving on bees they're hopping on bees yeah they're hopping on foragers yes but even then those foragers are going out into the field the mites might jump off on a plant there's a there's a video somewhere i'll see if i can find it and put it in the show notes of a mite on a flower, jumping on a bee. Mm. I've seen it. It's really <laughs> amazing. Oh, that's amazing. So they, they kind of sit on their back legs and hold their arms up in the air, like they're doing a, a weird Mexican rate like wave. Like crabs. Yeah, mm. yeah. Well, they, yeah, they are. Yeah. So um, what happens if, as the hive starts to collapse even more, as that colony now, now is really collapsing, uh, and they start to get robbed, the mites now start to jump on the robbers. And the robbers go back to the hive and they take these mites and you get a mite explosion. So the actual science of, there is no real, there, sh- there should be no debate if mites will move from a, a collapsing hive to a non-collapsing hive. Because that's what parasites do. They have to move to and be I, viable. But I, so the thing is they move on the host. So they, mites move on bees, is that right? Through robbing or swarming or? Yeah, they, they, they. They hitch a ride, basically. Right, so they don't 
<laughs> a really stupid question, but I mean, it's it's something that I've often wondered when a colony collapses, what happens to the mites that live in there? They leave. Right. So if you lock them in, so a good beekeeping practice is in a right. hive dies. Absolutely. You shut it up. Yeah. If you lock them in so they can't be robbed, they can't leave. So they'll die. Yeah. But if... That's, a, that's an essential message, really, isn't it? That yeah. If you, if you lose a hive for some reason, you, you... Lock it up. You block it up immediately. Even if it's not due to Varara, it could be due to something else. Well, even or, you don't want your bees. I mean, I, I that, that hive I showed you that, that had sank brood. So mm. that's locked up now because I don't Absolutely. want... I don't want other bees going in that hive and also you know some some diseases are in honey so if, if you know that's why i should never feed honey from unknown colonies to one of your colonies uh, you know there are if bees are in there robbing the honey they could potentially be taking things like afb or efb i think is in honey that might not be right but you know there are diseases like yeah. that which are so so they move to the new hive and then they just overwhelm the hive and the hive collapses. So the way, the reason that, because I read that and I thought, well, what's contentious about that? It just seems to me pretty straightforward science. It's backed it's up with lots of evidence. It's logical as well. Yeah. Um, but actually the, the root of why it's such a contentious topic is because the finger is pointing at people who don't treat their bees. People who essentially let their hives die because they, they, they're saying that they want selection natural selection to select stronger hives um you know we should do what you want with your own bees but i think the the point about locking them in if they die um, is essential yeah personally i i wouldn't i think personally i think if you're going to keep bees you keep them you don't you should keep them alive yeah you should keep them alive um you don't have to use i mean you're the treatment expert you don't have to use treatments you don't have to use chemical treatments you can Use interventions. Loads of biotechnical yeah. methods that are part of integrated pest management of yeah. of Varroa. So, you know, I can I can understand why people don't want to put chemicals in their their hives. I mean, I think we'll be waiting a long time for um <laughs> for a to breed for a, for a variety of bee to evolve that is resistant or that can deal with Varroa. And all these viruses. It, well, absolutely, because it's yeah. the viruses yeah. which are there. Yeah. So I think I'm, I, I get the idea of being treatment free. I'm, I'm not completely on board with the concept of being intervention free. Right. I don't think you should let your bees die. No. There you go. I'm putting it out there. <laughs> no, I, I will. Okay. I would never, ever, ever see a colony weaken and die. And the, the interesting thing is, Tom Seeley's doing a talk at the moment called Darwinian Beekeeping. And if mm. we go to National Honey Show, Tom Seeley's there. Yes. This year? Yeah, yeah, apparently. Oh, my God. I might oh. be wrong. Oh, look, 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 you, oh. uh, you're sitting in front of your notebook. He excites me. <laughs> <laughs> I I just, oh, God, I love him. I really do. But he's going to talk on Darwinian beekeeping, so he's basically saying that, mm. that he, uh, feral colonies in, in, in that he studied survive in the wild with varroa. And they have a certain mechanisms that allow them to do that. They swarm more often. They're smaller hives. They're much smaller colonies, aren't yeah. they, than we keep. Yeah. But his point was, um, really, what we need to... Modern beekeeping needs to look more like... The management techniques need to kind of mimic what the bees do in, 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 in the wild, right? Yes. So 
so they can survive. And that means you wouldn't, you wouldn't need lots of treatments. But what he's not saying is don't be interventionist free. Mm. Don't be a non-interventionist beekeeper, be an interventionist beekeeper. And the other thing he says about mites is don't let your colonies die because what you're actually doing is promoting the uh, distribution of mites that are so virulent they kill their host. Because mm. people talk about mites uh, be evolving, bees evolving to become resistant. But the same is true in mites, right? Mites, we know mites evolve. We, they are, yeah. Because they, they, we've got miticide-resistant mites. So to the, Yeah, to the pyrethroids. So that he, happened very quickly, actually. In space of years, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. But interestingly, once they stopped using pyrethroids, that resistance... D- decrease. Decrease massively. But obviously, you know, people still have to be really careful about how often they use them. Don't use them unless you have to. I mean, they're so u- they're so useful, but you only want to use them once every couple of years. Yeah. But he's, I mean, you can read his, uh, I like that silly stuff is it's all online. So you can go and read his, his thing about mm-hmm. Darwinian beekeeping. But he's advocating a treatment-free process, but using interventions mm. And he's saying, do not let them die. Because you don't have to treat to stop them dying, but you can unite them, sh- mm. all the stuff we don't know, shook swarms, brood breaks. Um, but I found that might, I mean, you read the post on, on our website, but I found it just an interesting topic. But I don't think this, I think arguing about the science, because I'm not actually arguing about whether or not you should intervene in managing bees. I obviously mm. think you should. That's a really interesting point about uh, kind of treating bees um, about managing bees as they would live in naturally in the wild. Because, you know, what we do to bees, okay, and I'm saying this from no, my, no. the way I run my colonies, I do run them for honey production predominantly. Yeah. It, you know, it's a hobby that kind of got out of control. So I am running them for honey production, but, you know, I, I look at them in their little boxes. Well, they're not little boxes, in their big boxes with their frames and everything. And... Um, there was a photo on the front of Beecraft, I think it was, the last issue, which showed um, a, nat- a, a hive with natural comb that had been found inside a cavity wall. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely beautiful. That natural comb is so gorgeous. And I was looking at my hives yesterday thinking, you know, we've kind of, we've taken them and and made them fit into our shape yeah. and the way that we want to keep bees. You see, I've never had these profound thoughts before about <laughs> the rights of bees. But anyway, I, I can understand, I completely understand why, you know, there's this movement towards more natural beekeeping. But when it comes to Varroa, if you want to keep, if you want to keep your bees alive, you have to do something, I think. Yes. Um, I think it's very sad to let a colony die, and anyone who's ever seen a colony that's died from virosis. It's horrible. It's a heartbreaking, heartbreaking thing. Yeah, but you can try. I mean, if you look, if you look at what you know, look like Seeley stuff, and he's saying that um, they swarm more regularly. Basically, have brood breaks, right? Yeah. So you can you can mimic swarming in your apiary without swarming. Mm. You can do brood breaks. You can just lock the queen up for. a put them in a queen cage or mm. do what you want but you can mimic it i think mm. that was the thing that was as i looked into this that that was the, basically the sub the real argument is whether or not you treat or not and i, I actually care if, if someone wants to treat they treat if they don't they don't i've not really got a sort of fundamentalist view about it but i do think you need to intervene yeah you need to do something yeah you can't because that's not beekeeping is it that's just putting a box in a garden and letting them move in yeah. Which, as constantly, if you want to do that, go and join a local conservation society. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, if you think of bees as being livestock, you, yeah. you have to – I know it's really contentious and I know there are all kinds of value judgments in the language and and what people are saying, but, you know, you can't let them die. Well, I, I, I suppose people think they're not letting them die. Also, some people who are inexperienced – and some people who are experienced can lose colonies for, from Varroa, especially over winter. Yeah, so the other thing I kind mm. of took away from that was um, the finger get, kind of gets pointed at people who say, I don't treat. But actually, there's probably a lot of beekeepers out there that don't, although they might treat or might say they do Varroa control, probably don't mm. actually do it. So lots of beekeepers that would be in the so-called traditional camp, mm. they're, probably, they're probably causing the same problem as well. I think my key takeaway from it is, you know, if if you're if if for some reason your hive does die, lock it up yeah. as quickly as possible, seal it, and then they're not those those mites aren't going anywhere then, and then do do yeah. dispose of it in a way that doesn't allow the bees to rob it, because it's the robbing that is how they're moving from hive to hive. Absolutely, so and it, if you're not sure why it died, get bee inspector to come and take a look at it. Yep, they love coming and looking at other people with bees. <laughs> well, that's what that's what that's they do. That's what they're for. I'd love to do that as a job. It's a hard job. It's not easy. I'm sure I would. <laughs> um. Anyway, so that's that's the mite bomb, which is a interesting, if not slightly mildly depressing. <laughs> well, I think it's really it's really relevant at the moment though, because a lot of people are saying that they've got quite high varroa mm. at the moment. Um. And in a strange way, I like it when people say that to me because it shows that people are actually checking the level of mites in their colonies, which is the essential thing that you have to do with Varroa. Like I was saying to someone the other day, you know, if you keep bees, you're also keeping Varroa, whether you like it or not. And obviously, you're not keeping you're not keeping Varroa with the same aims, but they are there, and you have to manage them just as you ha- as you manage the bees. And um, I think you know at this time of year with the flow starting uh people don't want to people are not sure on what they can do to treat um and i think this is this is really where the biotechnical stuff comes in you know you wouldn't want to be doing a shook swarm now i guess um although you'd probably get good results if you did um but you know things like drone brood removal um queen comb trapping there's so much that you can do um, and the um, it used to be DEFRA, what is it now, AFA, the Animal and Plant Health Agency, um, published a lot of guidance on this, yeah. on non-chemical interventions, um, you know, that also cause minimal disturbance to the bees. So it's not bothering them at all. Um, but I guess, you know, failing that, if you, if you had uh, a really high – um, might count at the moment. I guess you could use Max for a week. You could do, yeah, yeah. I guess so. It's not too hot either. No, at the moment. Although I, with Max, I tend to, um, I get a bit nervous using them on, on weaker colonies. I only use them on really strong, powerful colonies because I think it. Yeah, it's strong stuff. <laughs> it's very, well, so I guess my negative experience when it first was released into the market, and it, I think they. Apparently, they've calmed it down. They've kind of mm, reduced the dosage now, so it's yeah. not as – because it was – my story is that it, it 
made all the grass in front of the hive brown. It's formic acid, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, in, a, it's in a gel. So you really have to uh, turn your face away when you unwrap them. Strong stuff. If you breathe it in, it really hurts. So um, you wonder what it's doing to the bees, but apparently it gets to the mites in, under, the, in the sealed Under the cap. I'll throw mm. my pen away because I keep clicking it. <laughs> <laughs> are you one of those annoying people who does that in meetings? I bet, <laughs> I bet you are. No, I I'm don't know. I'm just one of those annoying people who meet. <laughs> you're not annoying, Paul. You're lovely. Um, so I think, yeah, I, you know, you could do that at the moment. Um, but, you know, so far so good with mine. I, but I, I think it's essential to keep, you know, checking the mite drop yeah. or doing if you wanted to do so one thing, what's it called? The, the alcohol thing. The alcohol wash. Yeah. Yeah. But I think I think the, the takeaway from this segment, just to wrap it up, is if your hive dies, lock it up. Uh, at minimum, if you if you are adamant you're you're a non-interventionist beekeeper, you're not going to treat, you're not going to do anything, any intervention in the in the hive, you're not going to do shook swarms or anything like that. If it dies, lock it up. Just tape it up mm. and then dispose of it however you want to dispose of it because that that will stop them transmitting and as as you know randy oliver and Celia and you know people who do this for a living say if he's killed if those mites have killed a strong colony they're they're probably quite virulent mm. as, a, as they're probably quite a, mm. sort of mites you don't really want going getting yeah on. but yeah absolutely but any mites getting on any bees and, and moving out is is um is not a good thing. No. And it's it's actually basic good practice in beekeeping, as you rightly said. There we go. So let's talk about <laughs> queen rearing now. Queen rearing. Our queen rearing adventure so far. Go on. Um, well, we grafted, didn't we? That went well. We grafted. That went well. Well, it went well for you. None of my grafts took. It was the first time I'd done it, though. Yeah. And I think I found it hard to get the very, very young, just hatched larvae. So I think the larvae I was choosing were slightly bigger. Yeah. Slightly too big. It's all right. It's anyway, the bees didn't like them. No. But you you did well. So you had seven out of ten grafts. I know. Actually, it was seven out of nine grafts. Was it? Took, yeah. Go me. You Yeah, you did brilliantly. And you did it under difficult circumstances I as well. I did it with being chased by a bee. Being chased by my bees. <laughs> to be fair, they weren't chasing you. They were just saying hello. They were trying to sting me in the face. No, they, they weren't. They were trying to move you on. Me up, up, walking along this field, like gra- like, like framing <laughs> my hand, a grafting tool, swiping away at this bee. So next time we do it, we're going to go further away from the bee. Go to the pub <laughs> and just do it in there. Um, so, I mean, that I want to have another go at that. So that was great. So then they drew, yeah, seven really nice cells. Yeah. My immediate learning with this was when you don't give the grafts to your worst-tempered colony. <laughs> <laughs> to draw out. Because although they might be prolific bees and they will draw them out, which they did, it means you have to open up that colony oh, yeah, yeah. to get the grafts this. out. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and this was at a time when, I mean, you know, they had supers on and I had to lift three supers off. And it anyway, that was my first learning. Yes. That's the, I mean, the hardened method. Choose a calmer colony. I guess the hardened method, that's the downside that you're – well, it's a double-edged sword because you're using production hive. You're not setting up a special mm. um, cell builder hive. But, yeah, if you've got supers on, there's lots of stuff to move. So we did that, and then we made the mating nukes, and this is where we've discovered that the challenge of queen rearing isn't necessarily the grafting. That's actually relatively simple. It's managing mating nukes. It's hard. 
it's hard. And, you know, we made them up. We had plenty of bees, um, you know, did what you're supposed to do. I think, I don't know. Anyway, basically, when I went to put the cells in to the mating nukes, there, there were not enough bees in two of them. Yes, I think we didn't. Well, I think I didn't seal it up properly. And they snuck out. They'd snuck out. And then uh, put the cells in. They take, obviously, you've got to feed them really every day, um, every two days at, at the latest. Yeah. Um, they get through the syrup and obviously they have no other means. Because um, they're nurse bees. This is what I learned last year. It's, oh, yeah, go on. You shake nurse bees into the uh, mating nukes, which means they're not mature enough to go out and forage. No. So you have to feed them or they die. Yeah. And then we had two abscond, didn't they? They just two left. Two absconded. The, the, queen, the queen cell hatched and they all left yeah. and didn't come back. I was hoping it might be a mating swarm that would return, but... So now we've got... I've never had that happen before. I don't really... I need to read more about that to understand yeah. why that happened. I didn't even think it was a thing until someone I looked it up online. Apparently, yeah, it's not I'd unusual. I've seen a mating swarm coming back into a hive once. A full size And hive. I thought, what was that? It was weird. And then I, I looked it up and was quite excited because apparently it's rare to see it. There's loads of bees coming back, entering the hive. So it was like a swarm in reverse. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it was amazing. So we had two, two absconded. So we've got, I think we've got four, is it now? Yeah, so we've got four. In mating nukes. Yeah, so I guess the, the we've got two in mating nukes and two in three-frame nukes that I made up yeah. from my colonies. Now, the three-frame nukes have got plenty of bees. They've got frames of honey. There's good resources in there for queen rearing. Those smaller mating nukes, I'm not happy with how they've come on. So is your... Is your, is your criticism of them is there just too much pain to manage because that, that is that is in queen rearing the mating nuke managing the mating nuke seems to be the actual skill i i think i think it i really think it is a skill and i haven't learned how to do it yet and i want to give it another Either go to you know to work out i'll read this this book that you just called Bernard's book yeah What's Bernard Mubus, Mating in Miniature. Yeah, that's the apparently the Bible. I've not read it yet, so you can read it first. It's the Bible on how to manage mating nukes. But we were saying earlier that next round we want to do them in two-frame nukes instead because they're less work to manage the nukes. Yeah, yeah, they are less work. And also I just, I mean, I, I, I need to try to make the mating nuke thing work so I can understand it better because, but it's just that when I look in those sections in the, when I look in each yeah. section of the mating you, I look at how many bees are in there. And I think that's just not enough bees to yeah. raise a queen. And maybe it is, but it's just that I've never done it that way before. But I, I, when I look at the two frame nukes, you know, you can add a frame of, um, brood, brood about to emerge, you know, and they they just look robust and like they're really getting on. Yeah. Lots of activity at the entrance, lots of, oh, well, there's pollen going in, so there well, must be. Well, next time we could do, if you want to carry on with the mate nukes, we could put just put twice as many bees in. I mean, it's not yeah. like we're short of bees, is it? We have bees come out of <laughs> our ears at the moment, so. We have. It's a it's a lovely position to so be when in. We can do that. Should we do that? Let's do our diaries online. Um, next week. I'm on holiday next week. Oh, yeah, you're, you're sunning yourself. And yeah. then you're on holiday. Am I? 
well, virtually as soon as like, oh, you're going away as well, I think. But <laughs> no, but you, well, you, no. I mean, I don't know. My partner will <laughs> tell you what I'm doing. <laughs> but, you know, I haven't been eavesdropping. No, um, but yeah, we will, we will be grafting again. And um, I, I do want to, I'm going to use, I think we should definitely use some two frame nukes, yeah, yeah. two, three frame nukes. Have you read, um, if you've read the um, entry on the Dave Cushman website about two and three frame nukes and they're making them up and their uses, mm. I mean, it's really, it's just really simple and it's really good, you know. Well, have you seen Queen Castles? Yes, actually, yeah. So they, that's basically yeah. the same thing, right? Yeah. It's little two, three frame nukes. Yeah. I mean, they are so incredibly useful. And to me, it just seems like a better scenario yeah. for raising queens for the kind of purposes that we, and the numbers that we well, want. Yeah. I guess the thing with mating nukes is they're used so you don't use a lot of bees. Completely. Absolutely. But if you've got, you know, like you do have lots of spare nukes, you've got five or six spare nukes, it's not a problem, is it? You can mm. just, just take out frames out of those nukes. They're not your production homes. You're yeah. not. You're not. You're not. That's a change of mindset. It's like, well, okay, it is, I can. It's I can break those. I can break those nukes up and use them for different things. Other than, I just need to get them to a full size hive. Mm. And I, and that's, I think getting your head around using nukes like that, that they're not predestined to become full size hives. Yes, is a is a bit of a. A shift. It's a massive shift because to me, a nuke has always been about increase and, as you say, letting it develop into a production colony. But but now I'm realising it is resource, it's bees, it's comb, you know, it's eggs for queen rearing. It's it's quite it's actually really been quite a big thing for me this year in helping me feel a lot more secure secure and and less worried and kind of more confident uh because of, i've got that nuke there so with with those i mean i need to not call them nukes i mean what are they they're like my bee supermarkets or something you know <laughs> where i just go and take what i want little factories um, aren't they yeah my bee factories <laughs> that sounds so horrible um but <laughs> the satanic mills um <laughs> i think you know having those there yeah, we can we can just make up as many two frame nukes as we like, and they'll just yeah. So I'm grafting this weekend at my my one. Um, so so hopefully next time we do a podcast, you'll have your first ever grafted mated laying queen. Yes, well, or or not as <laughs> a case. Well, no, I think I definitely think we. We've will. seen two of them, haven't you? Yeah, already on the comb, so. Yeah, they take a while to they take about two weeks to get laid. Mm -hmm. They merged when a week ago. They emerged, yeah, nine days ago. Yeah. So I mean, with this weather, they should be laying next week. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, I had I had also had some swarm cells from one of my favourite hives, which I I set up some nukes for those as well. But that's because you had nukes, isn't it? Mm. So I just think if you've got lots of spare nukes, life's so much easier. Yeah, it means you don't have to go into your big colonies. And, I mean, obviously everything flows and shifts every year with the bees anyway. But, no, it is really it, – it's good. But I, I want to try to use 
the mating nukes and to make that work because it will teach me about how to look after them yeah. so that they successfully produce a queen. They're hard to manage. Though. They are that's, hard to manage. That's the, bit, that's the surprising mm. thing for me was how... I mean, last year I, 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 I got the same result. I, I kind of I got about 7 out of 10 grafting, which isn't fantastic, but it's good enough for what I needed to be. I think it's pretty good. No, I've seen people get 10 out of 10 constantly. Well, next time you do it, you'll get 10 out of 10. I'm happy. You're, you're like, well, if that's what you want. I mean, I I, I get, think that worked brilliantly. If half of them take, I'm happy. So, um, but last year, the same thing. I grafted and that, that went really well. Took quite well. And then I just had a nightmare keeping the mating nukes alive. Because like you say, you, you put in enough bees. So I put in two scoops, mm. which is almost double what they recommend. And then I didn't realise how much feeding they need because they do need a lot of feeding. I mean, it's not it's not something you should do in an out apiary that's a bit of a drive from a oh, house. Yeah. Um, and the the other thing is that's why I think the the nuke the doing it in a two or three frame nuke makes more sense because at that point they're pretty self sufficient, aren't they? Mm. Because you've got foragers and resources already in the hive. Yeah. So, yeah, so we'll have another grafting session and mm. uh, see where we go. But I mean, we only, you know, I, I don't need any more than 10 queens, that's for sure. Or no, what did we work out? 12 or something. So. I think you worked out you need seven because you've already seven, got seven. That's it. That's it. You've already got seven new queens anyway. Yeah. So, you know, I, I I I can manage that number with two frame nukes. I mean, obviously, if I wanted to massively upscale, then I'd be using mating nukes. But I I do want to um, learn how to manage them. But I mean, in terms of you know the overall process, and this is the first time I've done any kind of you know uh, what's the word planned queen rearing, um, systematic queen rearing is what I was going to say. I, it's fascinating, it's fascinating and it gives you a completely different perspective on beekeeping and one in which you have more options, more choices. You don't have to put up with bees that you don't like, you know, you, for whatever your, whatever your purpose in keeping beekeeping, whatever, you know, drives you to do it, um, whether it's having nice bees or making honey or whatever, um, you know, it's so good to know that you can breed for the traits yeah. Within reason. Obviously you can't control the drone process, mating process. But um yeah, yeah. I I'm really I'm really enjoying it and so could about, get slightly addicted to it. <laughs> it is it is addictive. Mm. About August I think we're gonna do an episode where we just go through our learnings in Queen Rearing. So if you're an expert Queen Rearer, you probably don't want to listen to that episode because you'll be Throwing yeah. your phone against the wall. We're so, <laughs> but <laughs> we are certainly not experts. But, but it's good to share, you know, what you're learning. Well, I think when we started, we said we were going to share the good and the bad. Because if you True. only share the good, that's right. Everyone thinks they're awful. Yeah, and also, you know, I make so many mistakes. <laughs> if I can hopefully inspire someone to not make those mistakes, then that would be a good thing. But yeah. So. Uh, I, the, the mating nukes has been the real challenge. I think keeping them alive it is a challenge, and yeah. and you know things like when we made them up, not seeding them properly, 
and then when we because because the way you make a meeting you for those who haven't done it you, you make them up and then you leave, you lock them in for a number of days so um they kind of because because it's a mixture of bees they're not all out of one hive so you, you lock them in you lock them in the mating nuke for a number of days so they kind of cohese and they come sort of a cohesive group um about 70 about three or four days uh, and then if you time it right you you're you're you'll put the cells into the mating nukes just prior to you open the nukes so that's great but if you don't seal the mating nukes <laughs> the day you take the cells out of the the hive and you go and put them in the mating nukes you find your mating nukes empty yeah because we sure. yeah they're like little kind of blocks aren't they they're little polystyrene yeah, plugs block, yeah. yeah plugs that's it so i think i'll uh, put them in I didn't completely yeah I, I don't think i did i don't think i pushed in well enough because the other ones didn't get out and there's no holes in them i think you were running away from bees at that point you just shoved them in no, they were right you like you loved making the mating nukes. You thought it was great the way you can just pour bees like oh, water. It's, it's it's amazing. You, you kind of shape them into a, a kind of big plastic box. We used, um, and yeah, you like you choose a choose a donor hive or hive, shake all the bees into the box, and spray them with water. They all stay there, and they all kind of yeah. So obviously they can't fly away, um, and they're predominantly no, well they are nose bees. Um, and you you literally get a scoop like you'd use for. I don't know, scooping flour or something, Um, and two scoops of that into each little kind of cubicle of a mating, well, into each nuke. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's amazing to just see bees kind of moving around like some other substance because they kind of flow in that box when you're scooping them and you're spraying them with water. You just pour them into the hives. So I think, you know, issues were the bees got out and also – (laughs) <laughs> that's a pretty big issue <laughs> that, that's pretty fundamental <laughs> yeah. um, kind of hurdle to begin with and then um, also no drawn comb they were not drawing ah, comb yes. so I think yeah that's a lesson I, I don't know there. why so I think what I'm going to do is if I get them mated in the mating nukes because I use because we use the um, Lyson mating nukes so anyone who's not seen them I'll, we'll put a picture a link to a picture on, on the show notes but they're like a little mini hive. So they have a floor, a body, a feeder, and a roof, and it all comes apart. And then there's a divider down the middle. So each one could be two mating nukes. So you have a little three-frame little three frame nukes. Um, but because they come apart, you can actually stack them up. And I know people who overwinter bees in them. God, really? Yeah. So I think what I'll do is if I can get some bees mated in the mating nukes, is our aim to try and overwinter because obviously you kind of got they're the late queens if you do queens end of July and going into August. So I suppose if you took that divider out, they yeah, you take the divider out and you stack two of those mating nukes on top. It's a six frame nuke. They're pretty solid, aren't they? They're pretty yeah, well insulated. Yeah, mm. they're really well made. So I guess my plan in my head would be to overwinter some bees in those nukes. So when we go to make the mating nukes next year, I think yeah. ahead, they're already populated with bees and those bees are already, it's a functioning hive. And we just break it up and you, mm. that's if we just haven't given up on trying to manage mating Well, nukes. I mean, the proof of the pudding will be next week when we see how many queens we have mated. Yeah. well, They've had good weather. At that point, what I do is I take a frame of brood afraid of fruit out of a, a hive, 
put them in a full-size nuke, shake the queen in, shake the bees in, um, and feed it until those bees start to merge out of the the comb. And then the one, you know, the one I've got up there, the one I raised last year, that's all I did, and I didn't touch it after that. They drew out, they drew out all the foundation lists, two boxes of it mm-hmm. between know, the end of August and the beginning of April. Yeah. Yeah, so mating nukes. So there you go. So queen rearing, the issue isn't grafting. That's quite easy. That's really not the issue. Keeping them alive in the box yeah. is the problem. It really is. You, you do have to feed them every day, and that's why I think next time we use mating nukes, you should have some in your garden. I'll have some in mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a better, good idea. Because, you, you know, you've got to keep that food, that, you know, flowing into them. Or else they're not going to raise a good queen. And we'll put they have to feed in. her as soon as she emerges, and they have no comb with honey in it. So, and we'll uh, we'll put more bees in them as well. Yeah, we'll do two scoops. <laughs> so there you go. That's our, that's our adventures so far with our queen rearing experiment. Uh, yeah. Anything else? I think is, are we have we come to the end. I think we have come to. We the might end. actually get it in at forty five minutes. I may have to cut this bit out. <laughs> when it comes in at an hour. <laughs> um, yeah, let's, we're kind of just, I'm just ready for the flow to begin and kick in. And it, you've got, you're a big flow already, haven't you? And you're on a, you're on a field. Mm. Um, and that field hasn't flowered yet, has it? It's just starting now. Half of it is just starting. Because when that flowers, that really the flow. I can stand at the kind of entrance to my apiary and I watch the bees going over. And they're, you know, that beeline, yeah. like, it's just so true, like, you know, any kind of metaphor about beekeeping. And, um, yeah, they're flying like squadrons <laughs> to that part of the field. So it's starting. Well, there's honey coming in. There's nectar coming in because, yeah, like I said, that, that nuke has made two full 14 by 12 frames of honey. So Nice. Yeah. There we go. Thank you. So, um, if you you find the show notes, they'll be on uh, the Beehive Jive uh, slash six. Uh, you can follow us on the Twitter at the Beehive Jive. Um, we may or may not have an Instagram at some point because I don't take pictures, but you do. Um, and that's it, really. Thank, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. Stop laughing at my third attempt. Okay, I'm covering my face. (laughs) Right. Maybe we shouldn't do this in the same room. Maybe we need to be separated by some sort of wall. No, but the whole thing that makes it work is that we have fun. And No, you're mocking me now. That's not fun. I feel belittled. I'm not mocking you. I'm (laughs) I'm laughing because I've got the giggle. (laughs) 